We're going to try to minister again this morning to help, to strengthen. I like to say this because I really do believe this. I don't have the final word on anything. I'm just, I'm just a servant. I'm just going to preach what God's given me. Just work in the light that I have. We've been talking about Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua. It's, it's come kind of, I just feel sort of in a different dimension when I think about him as being a rabbi. Is anybody kind of connected to that with me? Yeah, there's a few. It just sort of, I've never really thought of him. I mean, we always think about him as Lord, right? We think about him as, as Messiah, but really being that personal rabbi, um, it's just something that's just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of stirred me. I've thought about it in the past a lot, but we've been speaking about it the last few Sundays, and I, I want to go again. I just felt like the Lord laid this on my heart. I want to talk about the rabbi's call, about the rabbi, his call. We've been talking about the rabbi and lifting him up in that place, giving him glory in the place that he is in the scripture. And uh, so this morning I want to talk about this call that he has. I think it was last Sunday I just started out and it said he called them his disciples and it named off every one of them. But I just want to talk about that call this morning. Very important. And so we're going to look at it. I want to find a place to start in the book of Matthew, the 10th chapter. And I just want to read a few verses here in the 10th chapter, the 34th verse, and just on down a little bit. So if you find that place, Matthew, the 10th chapter, there's a lot of places we could start, but I just felt like this one right here was fitting. So Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to dissever a man from his father. What does it say? It says, I came to set a man at variance. Against his father. Now that's that's a that's that's a different uh, translation than word for word. I came to dissever a man from his father and a daughter from her mother, and a daughter-in-law from her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies shall be those of his own house. He that loves father or mother above me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son and daughter above me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, and the one finding his soul shall lose it. And the one losing his soul on account of me shall find it. Jesus, these are direct words of yours. And I pray that somehow by anointing of your spirit that you would allow me this morning to, to just comment on these words. 
Lord, I don't want to take it anywhere from where you intended for it to be. And so we pray, Lord, that we God, as we speak this morning, that it will just it will just open to us just exactly what you meant. Lord, and your purpose in it. And we give you glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Rabbi Yeshua was not born to bring peace on earth. The Christmas card, I, you know, I got to go back to this. There are just certain things that I have to repeat. They're so good, I can't leave them alone. The Christmas card, you've sent them out. If you haven't, you're an exception. So I'm not going to ask for hands because I know everybody here has. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You've sent them out, and we have. I know Kay and I have sent those out. That's good, man. That sounds really good. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's the birth of Jesus, right? Um, we've got a conflict then because, and I know that those angels did say this. It's not like they didn't say this, but it looks like we have a contradiction in Scripture. If you ever, let me give you some advice as a, as a, as a pastor, teacher, studier of the Scripture a long time. If you ever get to a place where you feel like there is a conflict in Scripture, you need to go a little deeper. So I'll just throw that in there for you. There is no conflict in the Word of God. One thing opens up another. You may not understand this, but as you read and see this, it begins to open up what you did not see. I think it was Martin Luther in one of his rules about Scripture is that sola scriptura to him meant that Scripture alone will, will in other words, it will translate itself by the effect of other Scripture. So if there's something you don't understand, hang right in there. And, and so this looks like it's some kind of a contradiction, man. So the question about when we come to a contradiction is, then uh, what do we trust? Do we trust which scripture do we trust? And so let me say this to you right off. The one thing I don't want to trust is the words and punctuation of English translators. And so you all are smart enough here this morning. I mean, we've, we've taken the college approach a lot of times in in scripture, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, that, that we would study a thing. And, and I know that we walk by faith and not by sight, but sometimes we do need to see. And so when it comes to scripture, we need to have an understanding. The Lord is constantly, uh, the Spirit and the Word agree. Can you say amen? And so the Spirit of the Lord in us, but it's agreeing with what He has said. And so um, sometimes the arrangement of words and punctuation in our English text does not work out exactly as God has spoken it. And so um, I point those out at times, what I feel, and, and this is one of those cases. But, but there are other places in Scripture. So uh, when they went to translate the Bible, and, and it's just, it would be easier for me to get up here this morning and say, we're King James only. 
And so whatever King James said, that's the breathed word of God. And there are churches in this town that absolutely believe that. And you know what? God bless them. Um, that's great. Uh, King James was, he was, uh, he was not a good man. King James designed the interpretation of the Bible to meet certain rules that uh, Richard Bancroft, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, had put together for the translator. So it wasn't a free open translation. It was under the guidelines. Now, you've got to understand something. When English translators translate, they already have an idea about what the Word of God says. And so, with that in mind, if they are of any kind of persuasion, it comes out in their Scripture. Now, you'll find that in all the versions. Uh, there are some that are very frivolous, but that's just who the translator was. There are some that make the Bible read easier for you. But in reading easier, you lose some of the value of translation. Does everybody understand? There are two types of translation that are done. One is communicative, and that is the attempt to render an exact contextual meaning from one language to another. And that's, that's the good kind. When we try to take the very words of the Greek text and make them the same in the English. Now, you know that word for word, you can't always, you have to add an A here and a the there and a, a by there and in there some. And so there is some of that. But basically, the whole exact contextual meaning goes into the next language. And then there is conceptual translation, and that is meta theoretical approach. I thought I'd get that out there. That's, that's a big word. Uh, it's attempting to render the text as one understands its meaning. So you read the text, you see the words, and you devise what you think it says and then translate it into the Scripture instead of word for word or exact meaning. You're bringing your understanding into the scripture, and that is exactly what has happened over and over and over. Now, I read the King James Version because I love it. I have been, I was raised on it. I, that's, that it's good. I trust it, but I also have with me, when I read that, I have with me my Greek text because there are some times that we get into a problem, and the problem with English translators is that they fall into the conceptual camp. That means they invert into, they put into that the, the uh, translation, their own feeling, their own idea of what it's trying to say. Now, that's easy to do because we all do that as preachers. We get up, we take a text. Brother Justin nodding his head. He does it on Thursday night. We take a text. And if we don't have any idea about that text, then all we should do is just open the Bible and read it. But there is preaching of the word, and it's an explanation of the word. Sometimes it's the man in the chariot who doesn't know what it's saying, and it takes a man of God to come down and say, do you understand what you read? Not that the man wasn't trying to understand. He just didn't understand until it was 
given to him, the explanation that was given to him by the Spirit, by the man that God had sent down to him. And so, but problem, problem comes up sometimes, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit this morning. I'm kind of setting a foundation. The problem with the conceptual stuff is that we lose some of the original meaning. And I don't like that. I like what God gave. I don't like what men gave. Can you say amen? And so all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen? But sometimes men put into translation some things that can subtly change the meaning. Now, whether or not they meant to, sometimes it just does. Last week, uh, the Scripture that we begin on, John 1, 1. Does everybody remember that? Because we, we deal with that quite a bit. John 1, 1. The last line of John 1, 1. And if you look in your Bible, you will see this. I don't care what Bible you have. You're going to see this. And the Word was God is what the last line is going to say for you. That's not what the Greek text says. The arrangement of the word is different. And by arranging the words, what can happen is, instead of it saying, and God was the Logos, a word, it says, and the word was God. That changes it. If you say God was the Logos, then that renders God and His word as being the same. If you say that and the word was God, then you can bring in a plurality of gods and he's one of them. It's exactly what Jehovah Witness has done. They took and God uh, and the word was God and they just put an A in there and they say and the word was a God. And let me tell you something else. This Protestantism has done that very same thing, and they wouldn't call it that, but they've taken the Word, they've separated it out of God, and in essence, what they're saying is that the Word was a God among three gods. Now, they won't admit to that, but that is exactly what they're saying. And But when you rearrange that according to the original text, and God was the Logos, then there is, there's no room. There's no room there to misunderstand that God is one. Can you say amen? So that's an example of that. I was reading uh, in Matthew 5 uh, recently, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. It's called Beatitudes, and sometimes I'm having trouble measuring up to that. I don't like the turn the other cheek stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. I like the Lord. He's my rabbi, but he said that. Now, when we talk about hard sayings, and, and the disciples said to Jesus, this is a hard saying. That's a hard one. Because I've always been somebody that, that wanted to defend what's right. I wanted to stand up, in fact, for people that somebody else was abusing. And I've always felt like, you know, that, I've got a problem with that. So I'm reading this, Matthew 5, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But, but I say unto you, do not resist evil. Wow. I don't know what to do with that. Don't resist evil. So then I become a pacifist. 
I've talked to people who said Christians should be pacifist. Don't resist evil. You just, whatever happens, you just flow with it. You don't, you don't make waves. You, you know, everybody know what a pacifist is? They're not only just, you know, slap them around and they won't do anything. It's just like they're not even going to defend themselves. They're not going to defend their children. They're not going to defend anything. You're just pacifist. You just take whatever anybody hands out to you. And, and I don't want this to say that. Resist not evil. I just don't want that to say that to me, that I cannot resist evil. But yet there it is. And so in the English translation, the English wording, that seems like that's what it says. But later the same rabbi who gave the Beatitudes also said this, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. We are to be like our rabbi. It is enough. We will never be more than our rabbi. The scripture said, you'll never be more than the teacher, but it is enough to be like your teacher. And so if Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil, which are ultimate evil in the earth, then what Jesus was saying, I came to destroy evil. But over in Matthew 5, resist not evil. And so we have this, you know, again, we have this, it seems like something's not aligning here in Scripture where the Lord would tell us two different things. Do you see that? The Lord would say on one hand, don't resist evil, and on another hand, He would say, I'm going to destroy evil. I'm set out to tear evil down. I'm not only going to resist evil, I am going to absolutely come against it with all my might to destroy it. And what the devil has done and what the devil is doing set myself to destroy that. And so we're kind of thrown in between there. But if we look at, and as I thought about this for a few days, I began to think about this. And, and then I realized that there's other scripture that may help us in this. Don't render evil for evil. Don't fight evil with the same evil. Slap me on one side of the face and I turn the other because, let me tell you something, a fist fight will not ever satisfy or bring a solution to the problem. I got a kick and so I, I sometimes I admit it, I, I like the old cowboy stuff, you know, and so I watch some of the old cowboy stuff. Well, one guy, he, he was being called out. And uh, he didn't want to fight in front of everybody. And so he was being called out, and the guy was mocking him and everything, and he was a coward and this and that. And then later on, he knocked on the guy's door at night, and they went out in the field, and they just beat each other up. I mean, when they were done, they were bleeding, their, tore, their clothes were all torn up. And, then, and one guy looked at the other and, and, and said, Now, what did, we, what did we do? What have we done? What have we fixed? Because... Evil against evil will never fix evil. Now, I'm not so sure that Jesus, I'm going to be really careful with this because I don't want to teach against what the Lord has here. But I think what he's trying to show us here is an attitude. If we rise up in the same spirit that that man that's striking you in the face is rising up with, what are you accomplishing? And then later Paul says, 
Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil how? With good. So don't render evil for evil. Don't resist evil with evil. Resist evil with good. But sometimes good is standing up for yourself. Sometimes good is standing up for your family. Sometimes good is standing up for the unborn baby. Sometimes good is standing up for the children that they want to turn into perverts. Sometimes good is resisting evil. But we don't resist evil on the level of evil. We don't go out and bomb abortion clinics. We don't go out and kill doctors. We don't go out and kill congressmen who vote the wrong way. We overcome them with good and righteousness and stand up with the message of godliness and holiness and and how God can change lives. And what we do for our children is that we teach them the way of the Lord. And that way we overcome the power of evil. Can you say amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. Amen. So now we went down that road and we're going to have to come back. We've got to reel it all back in. Come back to the text. Because Jesus opens with this, I have not come to bring peace. And so going back to Luke, the second chapter and the 14th verse. What are the angels saying then? The angels did come down and say, according to King James Version, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill of men. But you've heard this before, and, and, and so I just, in order to talk about Jesus, I did not come to bring peace. We've got to go to the Greek text, and we've got to take the punctuation out. Does everybody understand the Bible was not written with punctuation? How many have seen original Greek text? I'm glad they they did punctuate it. It's just word after word after word after word, and they're not even separated. And so it took some scholars to help and do that. I appreciate that, but... But in punctuation, you know this, if you're reading, a, you're reading a certain portion of Scripture and you get down and there's a period and there's the next chapter, you know, you go from chapter 20 to chapter 21, and you're like, why did they divide that there? Because it's still one thought, you know. Well, this is what happens in punctuation. This is what happens in rearrangements of the words. I love this verse. The Lord showed this to me many, many years ago. I've quoted it so many times. Our brethren quote it. This verse says something about the birth of the Lord. It says something about the oneness of God. It says something about the logos and, and wholeness of the plan of God when you read it this way. Glory to God in the highest and upon earth. That one in the manger that they are announcing That's God in the earth. Can you say amen to that? God is in the highest. He doesn't come down from the highest. He's always the highest. He'll remain the highest, but He's in earth. God with us in earth. God Himself, the high God, has become flesh. He's in the, you'll find Him. He's in the manger. Glory to God in the highest. And upon earth, 
peace among men who find his will. See, that, that just tweaks the meaning of the whole thing. There's peace, but it's not peace on earth. Let me tell you something about the volatile time that Jesus arrived. I don't think that, that the world was in more chaos ever, especially the Jewish world, at the time when Jesus arrived. And so, peace on earth, wow, this is going to be great now. Everything's going to just be hunky-dory. We're going to have just peace around here. Uh, the Romans are going to leave us alone. The, the Sanhedrin is quit going to doing what they're doing. And, and peace is going to come over the system, the Jewish system. It's all going to be really, really good. The Lord is born. Hey, peace on earth. Nothing in that manner happened. In fact, it got worse. Herod got worse. Remember? He went out and slaughtered the innocent babies. Things just got worse when Jesus arrived. And here, but the angels said, peace on earth. The thing is that we have to understand is that all Scripture finally comes together and makes sense. And so Jesus, adding to the Holy Writ, his holy word, his speaking, his words of life. It's right when he says, I did not come to bring peace. What are you going to do with that? I don't like that stuff. I don't. It's unbelievable that the most loving, enduring, unjudgmental person ever born to this world would even say something like that. Because our culture will not receive this. Their view of Jesus is a little different than that. How many have heard the term full gospel and understand what full gospel is? It started out is that you preach the whole Word of God, but it hasn't ended up that way. You can go to a lot of full gospel churches right now today that you'll never hear the full gospel. What you'll hear is the partial gospel, the good gospel, the things that make you feel nice and good and warm and fuzzy. How would this beautiful, wonderful, loving, endearing person say such a thing as, I did not come? To bring peace upon the earth. Because of a false understanding of who Rabbi Jesus is. I tell you this. It would shake Christendom to its very core. To really find out who he is. Because most of Christendom has been fed a line. Ideas about him that are not true. They've been fed a Jesus. They've got a picture of a Jesus who is not the scriptural Jesus. And I'm sorry, he's got many sides to him. There's many facets of him. There's much about his ministry. But I can't just take certain things this morning and say that he is this, he's just loving, he's just caring. And I can't just go that direction and leave off who he really is. Because if I tell you that this morning, and we only work on that this morning, then all we have is a half a rabbi. 
I don't want to have a rabbi. Can you say amen? Is everybody okay so far this morning? I mean, some of you are looking, looking at me like a, what does it say, a mule looking at a new gate. So, this first part of the Rabbi Yeshua's call, do you believe this to be his call? I do. The first part of Rabbi Yeshua's call is, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What do you do with a sword? Put it up. If I had one, I'd put it up and look at it. But in that day, you know... (laughs) Uh, what do you, what do you do uh, with an AR? I mean, okay, we put them up and look at them, but you know, it's something to use, defend, right? The sword represented defense. The sword could be offensive, it, and it, it it's a term that the Lord used that's that that infers that He's not only brought a sword with Him, but He's going to use it. I don't know how many churches you've been to that's, that's painted you the picture of the Lord standing there with the whip in the temple and a little bit of sweat coming down off of his face and, and he's looking at the door saying, come on back in here with that stuff. And he's got that. You know, I don't see that picture, but you're not going to see this one either where he is standing there with a sword in his hand. And he is going to dissever. The sword was to cut body parts off what they used it for. And they figure if they cut your arm off, you're done fighting. Now we think of it, you know, as a lot of stabbing. No, no, they are wheeling that sword. And it's going to, when it lands, it's going to cut something off. If it happens to hit you in the neck, You're not going to fight anymore because you won't have a head anymore. If they cut your leg off, you're done. And this was the idea of the sword, not to just poke at somebody. That's, I don't know, that's a TV thing. But so the Lord said, he said, I come to bring a sword and I'm going to dissever, cut off. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any Two-edged what? Because he uses it to dissever. No wonder it said it can divide between joints and marrow and the thought and intent of the heart and suke and numa. But see, most churches aren't going to preach this because even fundamental churches, evangelical churches, full gospel churches, holiness churches, it's just not something that people want to deal with. Because it's easier to preach the Lord just accepts you who you are. We're all God's children. God loves everybody. Hey, come on. I'll grab a guitar. We'll get around the campfire. We're going to sing Kumbaya songs. It's all going to be good. And the Lord is standing there with a sword in his hand. Because he's ready to do some dissevering. And I'm not sure sometimes we're ready for that. I, I, I know that, you know, I don't particularly like that myself. But you can see why they don't want to preach it because the Lord is dead serious about this thing. This is not a joke to him. I'm going to get on one day and get off another day and and I'm going to serve him partially one day and maybe I might serve him. I don't know if I'm going to serve him or not. I'll serve him until until what I uh, should not be dabbling in comes along and then I'll just dabble in that. And 
And then I'll serve him some more and get off and on. And not. The Lord is dead, dead serious about his disciples. He's not calling disciples that are going to serve him halfway. Sorry. And so i got to bring you something here about Peter. And I told Rodney, they were talking about this this week. And Dustin, I said, stop right there because I'm going to talk about that Sunday. So I'm not talking about that. So Peter hears the Lord say, I come with a sword and I'm going to do some dissevering. Peter heard that. And he locked it back in his mind, you know, later. It's going to be some time later. And on the last night when they're getting ready to go over into the garden, it's the last night of Jesus' ministry and life. And he says to them, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. And now it clicks in. Oh, I remember that. You said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring sword, and, and now you're telling us to get the sword. This is awesome. And, you know, Peter is just all in on this. He's ready to rip and tear. He is so passionate about what he does, and this is why the Lord just loves us, because he, is, he does some wrong things, he says some wrong things, but he is so passionate about his Lord. And so he's the one in the garden, that none of the rest of them, you know, but he says to Lord... I'm going to stand with you even until the death. So what he's thinking is, if they come out to get him, he's ready to go. He's got a sword. And he's going to use it, brother, and demonstrate that. Now, I have thought a lot. Have you ever heard a message about Malchus and and Peter cutting off his ear? Because I've heard a message or two on that. Okay, I'm going to bring a different spin on it. I don't think Peter drew a sword and went, and cut the guy's ear off. I just don't think that's happening. I think Peter was aiming at his neck. Takes a swing to kill the guy. And I think the guy ducked. And when he did, it just took his ear off. That's my opinion. Peter didn't have the... He's ready to kill. Because Peter is ready to stand for the Lord. He heard the Lord said, I've got a sword and I'm going to dissever. So Peter's going to do some dissevering. And he did. He dissevered the guy's ear. And the Lord picked the ear up and put it back on his head and said, Peter, put the sword up. And so, brethren, concealed weapons are good. Good. He didn't say put the, throw the sword away. He said, put it up. And I wondered about that. Does the Lord want aggression in our life? No. Does the Lord want us to get our guns and go out and conquer and do? No, no, no. That's, that's not. He's not that. But does the Lord have timing for See, it's not time for the disciples to die. And so he tells them to go get a sword because it's not time for them. They've got a birth in the early church. They've got to raise up and minister. He's ministered with them for three years now. And they've got to raise the new church up. It's not time for the crowd to kill the disciples. And so I think Ronald Reagan might have got this from the Lord. It's strength and safety, or rather it's safety through strength. After Peter pulls that sword and starts winning, everybody there knows that his disciples can defend themselves. They don't come after the disciples at all. Just the Lord says, I'm here. You've come to take me. I'm here. Peter put it up. 
You're going to live that way. You're going to die that way. In other words, there's too many of them. They're going to kill you. Put it up because that's not going to be needed right now. But I want them to know that you guys are equipped. Isn't that something? Have you heard, ever heard it you know, sort of in that direction? Go ahead and let people know that, that you'll defend yourself. But we're not taking aggression against people. Amen? Everybody say amen. 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 And that was, you know, just kind of I thought we would do it because we all love guns and, and defending ourselves. So. so let's go on. So the rabbi call is not a call to arms. That's not the rabbi call. Howbeit, it does have to do with dissevering. Here's the first part of the rabbi call. Do you want the rabbi call? Have you heard the rabbi call? From one's own family, you will be dissevered. This is so hard. The Lord just took a big step right out at the beginning. If you can't do this, there's no sense signing up. You have to be able to leave your family. And what does that mean? It means to leave them if they would inhibit you from following Jesus. That's what I was talking about. The sword is going to dissever you. It's going to be a man against his son. And, and I would hate that. And, and we've felt that sometimes children get wrong and, and they're against us. And, and it, it hurts. And we don't like it. But in the kingdom, sometimes a man and his son, sometimes a daughter and mother, sometimes a daughter-in-law. And mother-in-law are going to be at odds because they don't want them to follow Jesus. And I will tell you this this morning, that some of you have turned your life to the Lord and begin to follow Jesus in the right way, and family is not happy about it. And the Lord said, you're just going to have to cut that loose in your life. But I can't, you know. Jesus did it himself, his mother and his brethren. You know that, the story. This is my family. Because he realized anything that keeps you from your cause, anyone that would hold you back from serving and loving as a disciple of the Lord, there needs to be a dissevering in your life. And understand that the Lord brings us. This is His will. He's going to dissever. He's going to cause people who don't want you to follow Him. And so He says this, If you love them more than you love me, you are unworthy of being my disciple and calling me your rabbi. That's big. Can you say amen? That's big. Because we love our people. We do. We love them. We love our relatives. We love brothers and sisters and moms and dads and children. We love them dearly. But Jesus said, if you're not willing to dissever that relationship in order to follow me, don't call me your rabbi. See, that's the first part of the rabbi call. <laughs> it seems like that would, that would really still... Be enough, but the Lord has more. But he puts this way, mandatory separation from any friend or relative that would hinder your 100% commitment to follow Jesus. Everybody hear me this morning. If you have a friend 
that is hindering. They may not be, but if they are hindering your walk in the Lord, you better get the sword out and do some dissevering in your life. It's the will of God. And it's still the order of the day today. Not just then, but now. And I'm going to tell you this. It's the first work of holiness in your life. The first work of holiness in your life is to separate. You can't separate from the world. You can't separate from the friends. You can't separate from the stuff. There is no holiness working in your life. Holiness is about separation. You understand the meaning of the word holiness is to be separate, to be away from. This is the first order that God is going to do in your life. You come to Him, and He's going to sever relationships in your life that are not worthy to be involved in your life that will drag you down, keep him from being your rabbi. Well, that's a good one. Come out and be separate from them, saith the Lord. That was Old Testament. Isaiah said that, but I believe that it's a theme in the Scripture, and it will keep on going. Listen, the world and even the church now is clamoring for inclusion and diversity. And Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua Jesus, He is ever calling for exclusion and conformity. The world said we want to include everybody in this thing. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not including those. We're severing from those. And I want diversity in the kingdom. No, He doesn't want diversity. He wants conformity. Till we conform to His will, till we conform to His stature, until we metamorphosize into being like our Lord and our Rabbi. God's not looking for you to do what you feel to do. And God, you know, made me this way. But no, no, no. He's looking for exclusion in your life. And that exclusion keeps you from relationships with people that you should not have relationships with. Does this mean that you hate people and you won't talk to them? No. It just means you're not going to keep something alive in your life that Jesus wants to cut off out of your life. Can you say amen? Oh, we're talking about the disciple. We're talking about the rabbi call and the response of the disciples. So the second part of the call is this. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I'm not his rabbi, and he is not my disciple. He might fall under the category of the Lord, Lord people. But if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. It's that plain. Jesus said it many times. Let me give you just a few of them. They are read almost identical, Matthew 10, 38, Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23. Take up your cross and follow me. Severing, take up your cross. I didn't come here to bring peace. I came here to bring a sword. I'm going to work you over. I'm going to change your life radically. It isn't going to just be peace, just sign on and everything's going to go well with you. God is going to shake your life up. If you're not ready for your life to be shook up, then you don't want Rabbi Yeshua because he's going to shake your life up. He's going to change some things about you when you come to him. The cross is going to be a figure in your life because, listen, the cross, why does he say the cross? 
The cross is a place of death. That's all the cross is. It's just where you die. And you're going to die out to those, those desires and those feelings that you want to run your own life, do your own thing, feel your own way, enjoy your own being. And God says, no, you're going to take up the cross. How often? You're going to take it up daily. And you're going to follow him. It's a disciple's call. It's, it's what the Lord has commanded for disciples if they hear this call. And so the carnal mind is constantly an enemy of God's spirit. And so daily we take up the cross. Can everybody say amen? How often is that that we need to take up the cross? Well, How, how often are you tempted to run your own life? If you're tempted to run your own life, then you need to take up the cross because we die out to ourselves and say, Lord, you take over in my life. Amen, amen. So, now I want to close and come down with this. Is Rabbi Yeshua and his call, is it an ongoing call that's just open to everybody at every time? Now, I want to be really, really careful right here because the way we've learned the gospel this is going to conflict a little bit. The Lord came to the boat, and he saw Peter, and James, and John, and Andrew. And they were fishing, cleaning their nets. And he said to them, come and follow me. Now, if we preface that, Jesus had already been on Peter's boat and preached the gospel. And Peter had heard him and said, Lord, I'm an unclean man. You need to get off my boat. So they already know about what it is Jesus is calling them to. If they did not respond, would he come back around again? We've got this crazy notion that the Lord's call is wide open and whenever you feel like it, you can jump on board. I don't believe that. No man can come to the Lord except the Spirit draw him. What is that drawing? The rabbi's call. said, no, I heard of God. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Somebody said it's a, it's a crime that the American people have heard the gospel thousands and thousands of times in other places in the world. They haven't even heard it once. I just don't believe that, that the Lord lays his call out there and says, whenever you're ready, whenever you think it's time, that's why he said to one man, come follow me. He said, no, 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 I've got to go. I've got to go take care of some business. Another man said, I have to bury my folks. And Jesus said, no, 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 you can't be my disciple. I don't believe that the Lord just lays it out there for when you're ready and your convenience. I believe he called his disciples and they answered that call. What if one of them did not respond? Is he going to come back around pleading with, oh, please, Peter. Oh, please, Peter, come and follow me. Oh, I just need you so bad to come and follow me, Peter. 
if Peter does not respond to the call, that's it. I wonder if we've preached the Lord accurately when he said, come and follow me. And somebody said, no, I don't want to follow you. And the Lord turned and said, next! We've got this idea that God loves us so much and we've, we've kind of took it out of Scripture and bent it a little bit. That God loves us so much that we used to sing this song, Rodney. He'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And so we're out there running hard and, and you know, we're just praying that God's going to do this and that. No, no, he's already done what he needed to do. He's already made the call. And this call has gone out into the world. We've heard his voice. And if you've said no to the Lord, there is no guarantee that even though I pick up the mic next Sunday morning, though our pastors stand up here, we're not going to plead with you about serving Jesus. I'm, I'm fed up with that business where you get people in a room and you try and talk them into serving the Lord. That's foolishness. If you hear his call and you don't want to serve him, then you just go on, take your ditty bag, and you go on to hell, and God is going to look for people who do want to serve him. Somebody say amen to that. So, well, you know, a loving Lord just wouldn't act that way. You're not seeing the Lord with the sword in his hand. That's the problem. You're not seeing the serious rabbi. Oh, he's going to help you if you have mistakes in your life. Come on. He's going to help you should you even err in your life. Oh, yes, he is patient and kind. But to the soul who does not want him, does not want to serve him, what good would it do for us to put altars up here and plead with people to come to this altar and they don't want to do it. It's against their will. And God never wants anybody to serve him that it's against their will. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever desires to follow after me. I'm going to tell you what. If you don't want to serve him, get up and get out of this thing. Make room for somebody else because there's somebody out there that's going to hear the call of Jesus Christ and they're going to say yes to it. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of off-base preaching. You know, it depends on where the base is, I guess. This call is the greatest opportunity of anyone's lifetime. This call is the greatest opportunity for anyone to receive and embrace. The fact that he would even call me is staggering. In our trespasses and sins, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve one chance or a second chance. But because of His great love and mercy, He's called to us. Because He didn't want us to perish. It's not the will of God that anyone perish, that 
anyone do not answer the call. That's not God's will. But it's His will that all should come to Him in repentance to Him. But that does not guarantee us that whenever we're ready, we'll come in. His call goes out. And now you have the decision to make that is your decision. Do I go with him or do I stay with what I want and what I know? I would tell you this, if the Lord instructed his disciples not to throw pearls before the swine, he's not going to do that either. If you don't want him, he's done throwing the pearls. Man, that's kind of scary stuff. What's your guarantee that the door's going to be open when you decide to get in? All the grace and mercy and love of God, but he called and you said no. Man, how serious is that? That, that bothers me just a little, Pastor, when you say that like that. Rabbi Jesus said, who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Finally, we can't find life outside of Christ. Have you tried? Did you try to find life outside of Christ? How many can just kind of nod your head one? I hate to have the raising hand because we're so tired we can't raise our hand. How many of you would say, yep, mm mm-hmm, yeah, I, I tried to find life outside of Christ. Did it work? No, you're not going to find real life. But you might find some enjoyment. There, there's pleasure in sin for a season until it kills you. You know, I come out the other day and it, we, we were in a store. And I just noticed that just all the girls, they're just beautiful. They had all these tattoos and things on them. It was just all over. Beautiful. I said, do they know what they're going to look like when they're 50? Those roses are going to shut. You know, those flowers, are, it's not going to be pretty. It's like sin. Oh, man, it's, it's great for the moment, right? Oh, this is really, this is a lot of fun. Boy, we're just having, we're just living it up. Until it all comes back to kill you and destroy you. Destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your future. But this call, the answering of this call, we also used to sing a song that said how priceless, how precious, how perfect is the things of God. They are so good. You're not going to find life outside of Him. You're not going to find real life. Again, C.T. Studd said, and we've done this poem before, read the whole thing, only one life. Will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That is so accurate. That is so right on cue. You can, you can try and accomplish things. You can try and get to places financially. You can try and satisfy and feel good about certain things in your life. 
But there's only one thing that will last in you. There is only one thing that you're going to, at the end of your life, look back and say, I wish I had done more. I wish I had done better for my rabbi, my master, my savior. His call, answering his call, is the best thing that ever happened to my life. It's not the worst thing. It's not the hard thing. It's not the bad. It is the blessed thing that happened in my life. Nothing ever blessed me before. Oh, yeah, we had some fun. Oh, yeah, we did some things. But God, in His mercy, when He reached down and He called us and He touched us and He blessed us, has transformed our lives, and we are not the same. Can you say amen? Salvation is included in this call. When you answer this call, you have answered the call to salvation in your life. Forgiveness of sin is in this call. You're not going to need to get down and beg and plead and squander and and holler at God that He'll save you. All you've got to do is answer the call of Jesus Christ. I want you, my Savior. I want you, my Lord. I want you to wash me. I come under you. I want to be your disciple. And in Instantly, by the power of God, you're not going to need to do anything else. Instantly, you are saved. You are washed. You are cleansed and cleaned by the power of the Rabbi Jesus over your life. Things you've done in the past. See, I can't get over it. I want you to know Jesus has forgiven you. Somebody say amen right there. You look back and say, I wish I'd have done this and that and done that differently and not done that and done this. And I think we can all go there. Well, I'm going to tell you what. When I heard his call, included in that call was total forgiveness of my life. Included in that call was a new creation. It's not just that we're going to align now to follow after some words in the Bible. But there is a new creation in me. So that if anyone be in Christ, that one is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God. When you answer the rabbi call, you are new and fresh and clean. You are holy disciples of the Lord God himself you can't do any better you can't go any higher you can't bless yourself any better your family your friends your local church body than following Jesus Christ and him being your rabbi of your life and I guess at this point the way I was raised you stop you start pleading with people please receive him Please, oh, you just don't know your destiny. Just please, oh, say a prayer. And I've seen too many people say prayers and never received him as rabbi. I've had them stand in front of me, tears rolling down their face, and go out and live just like they were living before. But when you get the rabbi Jesus, that's what, that's what you've passed from darkness to light. The old rabbi, Satan, he's, he's the darkness. And now you've changed fathers. You have changed instructors. You've changed Christ. You've changed rabbis. Now Jesus, he's Lord of your life. Can you say amen? Isn't that beautiful? Hope I didn't hold you too long here. It's 12, right? Straight up. No, we're good. <laughs>